It's Jim Conley, Executive Marketing Manager for Anatomy and Physiology here at McGraw-Hill Education, and welcome to this episode of Succeed in A&P. I am here with our Director of Digital Content, Michael Cote. He's in the great state of Michigan. Michael, how are you? Jim, I'm having a great day. It's always a great day. You know, I like to say about Fridays, we're feeling it here on Friday. Fridays are always so much fun a day to wrap up all those things that you didn't get to. Oh, definitely. Definitely. All right, so we're going to do a little bit of rapid fire here with you, Michael. Um, how long, when you were teaching anatomy and physiology, how long did you teach A&P? Uh, Jim, I taught A&P at Lansing Community College for four years as an adjunct. Oh, nice. Then I had the, oppor- I had the opportunity to um, get a full-time uh, teaching anatomy at Michigan State University, where I taught for nine years. Oh, sounds good. And go green, I'll say that officially, as a Hawkeye fan. The Hawkeyes and Spartans had a pretty good rivalry the last couple of years. Oh, yeah, they sure have. It's been a lot of fun to watch. So tell me, when, when you were teaching, and just teaching in general anatomy and physiology, what excited you the most, or what excites you the most today? it was those sort of aha moments, right, where you could be helping a student maybe one-on-one after class or before class or maybe in office hours or we had set up a a great help room where students could get help and you could kind of just see them finally make the connection uh, for the concept that you were trying to get them understand. You know, and Michael, you and I have talked a lot about student success and you actually authored a piece for us that we've had uh, go out to the market. Students really enjoy it. It is the top 10 tips that you can pass along to your students to thrive in any A&P course. So how did you come up with that idea? Well, it, it really happened organically. It just happened from, you know, as they got involved in teaching, um, Actually, I would say it probably even happened when I was taking anatomy. Um, remember the first semester that I took medical gross anatomy, it was just me and a hundred other medical students, and I struggled on the first unit exam. I really had no idea how to take all of this content, right, and kind of distill it and focus on the, on the key concepts or any way to kind of summarize it for myself. I was just, you know, trying to reread things and looking at notes, and I never really made my own material, so I started asking for some help, and I got some great recommendations from some second-year medical students and some other people that I knew that were doing some tutoring, and I realized that I had to take that information, you know, out of my notes, out of the textbook, and really own it myself and, and make it come alive, so I created you know, charts and tables. Um, I would take summary note cards, and not just like a flashcard, but take a key concept and make a little sketch of it and maybe have some of the important bulleted words on one side where I could put it all together. So when I started teaching, um, actually some of my first teaching positions, I was really 
facilitating learning. I was a supplemental instructor for students that were taking gross anatomy, and it was my job to coach them through taking anatomy, and, and I started to learn more about these strategies. I had some good um, had some good mentorship where people kind of shared what it is to be a master student with me, and I passed these on to these study groups. Oh, that's awesome. And, and the one piece out of all that that I really remember back to my undergraduate days is taking ownership for the learning. That's just a fascinating topic, and I think as an instructor and all of us in education, we really want to take the, the ownership and the accountability and transfer that from the instructor out to the students. So I'm really encouraged to hear you talk about that. And then in my early years of teaching, you know, my own courses, I realized, you know, students would come in and say, you know, I've done all this studying, but they, they just didn't know where to start, right? They didn't know where to focus themselves, and they, they were missing some of these tips. So the, the top ten list that you're actually referring to actually started as something that I started putting together um, in my course syllabus for my anatomy students, where I basically, you know, started to collect some of the ways that I was learning about, you know, from a pedagogical perspective, what are some of the best ways to learn? So those concepts I started to incorporate, but also from the students that were very successful, right? Students that were doing well in their course and telling me about how they made their own, you know, they would rewrite the lecture in into very short little um, snippets that they would create in Word documents and then embed pictures right next to that and kind of quiz themselves. So I kind of figured, you know what, it's time to start sharing this with every student in the course. And I'm really glad that you did. It's really worked out well, not only for us, but any of the students that have read that, they've really commented on how it's just good to see a comprehensive list of 10 things that you can do, and they're going to be really kind of bulletproof if you do all of them and apply yourself in the right way. Now, now tip number four, that's the one where I was going to ask you about this. You mentioned taking visuals and referencing the black and white text, you know, maybe in a book or online on the screen. Can you explain, like, your process for that or what you meant by that? Well, whether you're a student in anatomy and physiology course or a student in an anatomy course, there's so much that's visual about anatomy or a physiological process that students fall into this trap of kind of separating lab and lecture. And they think, well, okay, this is lecture content, so I just have to read words, right? So they'll, they'll focus on reading words and not necessarily also look at some sort of visual at that same time. Um, so I would talk to my students about, hey, you've got this great resource, Anatomy and Physiology Revealed, this interactive virtual cadaver dissection website. So when you're reading about um, something in anatomy or whether it be anatomy and physiology, have your computer open and look at APR at the same time. So, you know, spend a little bit of time reading your notes, you know, maybe looking at your lecture notes, but then also make sure you're looking at the visual at the same time so that you're making this linkage and you're not just kind of depending on identifying something in a visual, but also um, forgetting that text component. Yeah, I could see where that marriage between the black and white text now, the visuals, the way you explain that really seems like a powerful way to go. And then also adding in you know, supplemental things like anatomy and physiology revealed would be very effective. 
Yeah, and it just it kind of further goes at this integration, right, between anatomy and physiology and, and that trap that students fall into of, oh, that's something that I'm going to memorize for lab, that's something for lecture, and not tying them together. And I think the more often that they're looking at images and also reading and taking notes, they're combining all of the best of these uh, different modalities. Yeah, and you and I travel all across the country. We meet with students all over the globe, and that's the one thing that always comes back, it seems, as a common thread is I can just memorize chemistry, you know, get through my chapter two or three in my book, and then I'm done. I don't need to know this any further. And then, as we all know, that's definitely false. So really encouraging to hear you talk about that. And there are some solutions to it, which is great. Well, Michael, I've got to ask you, you know, you've got 10 of these tips. I asked you about number four. If you were going to rank your personal favorite, which one of them would it be? You know, I'd say my favorite is probably number five, avoid cramming, right? And just it's the idea that students fall into this trap of just starting to study, right, right before the exam. I can't tell you how many times I heard a student tell me or talking talking to their uh, classmates, you know, before class, well, I haven't started studying yet, right? Well, okay, the exam's three days away. That's when I start studying. That's when I, that's when I go to the library for three days nonstop and study anatomy, right? And, and everything that we know about learning, we know that that's not the best approach, right? So the idea of having spaced practice over time and during those spaced practice events, right, you need to sleep, you need to eat, you need to do other activities as well. So I loved talking about with my students, like cramming, it does pay off in the short term, right? You can, you can cram and be successful in the short term for an exam, but it's not going to help you for any sort of long-term retention. And then most courses have some sort of cumulative um, component to it, and that's where that really hits you, right? That students really struggle as they get later in the course when they have to, now they face the fear of, oh my gosh, I gotta know all of this material. Well, the, the cramming worked a couple of weeks ago for that one test, but now it's all gone. And of course, with A&P, you're always playing to the students or, or reminding them, look, you're taking this course to get into nursing school. You're taking this course to go to some allied health program like medical school or a PA program or physical therapy school. So you're always kind of reminding them, this is, this is anatomy and physiology content is something you need long-term. So to do that, let's really learn it by using these best practices in terms of spacing your learning out over a period of a couple days. Right, and setting up some kind of schedule. Could I not tell them. I, I would always tell them that, you know, spending eight hours one day before the test is worthless. They'd be so much better, you know, breaking that same amount of time up into smaller sessions that went back a week or two. Yeah, that was one of the key things I learned when I was a community college student a long, long time ago is that if you're studying, you know, for the last minute stuff, 
it was going to burn you in the end. You would really struggle on those cumulative final exams or even midterms. And especially, you know, later when I went on to a four-year school, that really uh, became a point of emphasis where you had to work pretty much every day, every week, you know, what you're doing. So that that's a great one. Now, let me ask you this, Michael. For your students, when you were teaching them, did they ever tell you, like, what their favorite tip was that you remember? What? You know, that's going to be really something that probably varied student by student. But I think one of the tips, how about if I turn your question around a little bit to maybe what what tips sometimes surprise my students the most? Oh, yeah, that's good. And, and that was sort of um, number six, organizing the material in some way that made the most sense to them. I, I think a lot of students that component of, you know, they're fine with just, okay, I took notes in class or I've got PowerPoints with notes from my course. I can go back and read into the textbook. And they kind of just rely on that. And they, they skip that part of, oh, it's okay to actually take that and write it into my own words or to make a simple line drawing or to take that content, you know, that is very sort of, you know, content that might be um, best displayed in a table. Like, okay, the textbook has all kinds of great tables uh, with muscle actions and innervations and uh, muscle attachments. But you know what? Maybe if you made a table on your own that was a little bit simpler and really only had the information that you knew you absolutely needed, you'd be better off. And I, I think that was the tip where students realized they really needed to take that step of owning the material and doing something with it in their own format. And, and there's been plenty of research that's shown that that's really where they become the master learner, right? Because now whatever they've taken and, and they start their own creative juices, they're really going to remember that content. Yeah, that's an excellent tip. And I remember when we had a local community college student here that uh, came into our offices, she read the tips, and that was the one that she picked out as her favorite, um, and one that she was kind of using a little bit. And then when she read our piece, she really dedicated herself to that strategy, and it had awesome results. So that's a good one. And I'm glad you turned that question around. That's good. Now, how about this? Let's turn a question back on you, which is going to be a lot of fun. And it might potentially scare you, but that's okay. What if I was just hired as an adjunct at a local community college to teach anatomy and physiology? What advice would you give me? Well, I, I think my first advice would be it's okay, and actually you really should tell your students how to study certain material. So I think that's the other part of it, right? There's, there's all kinds of content in anatomy and physiology, and, and some of these study tips some of them work better for different concepts. So I would encourage you, you know, you probably had some way that you remembered, that you developed as a student to remember the content. I think it, it's really helpful for you to share that with students. So that's where some of these study tips came from. You know, I would start sharing the study tips that I had developed when I was taking anatomy, right? So I'll give you a, a real concrete example. One of the things that I did as an as a anatomy student was I made a summary note card for every single one of the 12 cranial nerves. 
And I still have those note cards, right? And it contained all of the key information. Um, where, you know, what part of the brainstem did the cranial nerve come off of? What foramen was it associated with? Where did it travel? What was its innervation, right? What kind of fibers did it carry? And it, if you do it in a very systematic way, it really organizes the content. So I actually forced my students to do that. I kind of told them, you really need to make these cranial note cards, right? So I almost made it as part of an assignment where they would have to show me the 12 cranial nerve note cards that they made. So rather than just saying like, hey, this is something that you have to do, sometimes you have to like almost give them an assignment and really force them to see why it's beneficial to them. That is excellent. Uh, and I know I've had study tools like that myself that I still have back from my undergrad days. But I love the fact that you're actually making them do something. And, and quite frankly, it's just different than you may be doing electronic homework or even a lab exercise or anything like that. But it's something that they can use you know, later and over and over again. And just like you and I, we keep those later in our lives, which is awesome. Yeah, and I think it's just that that advice for that new person as an adjunct would be, you know, you're not just giving content. Your role also should be to help students come up with strategies to study that because they really, they really are missing those strategies. And as an expert in a field, you know, you really have that insight that you can share with your students. So don't be afraid to set off, set a little bit of time off to the side where, okay, this is the content you need to know, but here are a couple of the ways that you might actually learn this as well. Excellent. Now, we're talking about the things that worked, and I think for our audience, one thing that they might be thinking about is things don't always work out very well. So if you don't mind sharing with the audience what method of helping a student or maybe a teaching tactic that you had that was well-intended and you thought it was going to be the best thing that you've ever done and it was going to be great and you're going to get all these teaching awards and it just didn't work out, give us an example if you don't mind. If you have one. Well, if I could turn the question around slightly, Jim. Sure. I think one of the tips uh, one of the tips is quiz yourself, right? Make, have, create your own kind of review questions, right? Tell a student to create their own exam questions. Um, that one is a little dangerous. So that could be one that I, I can see, I can recall a few times working with a student. I said, you know, next time, why don't you come back with 10 questions or so, give me an idea, and they really weren't that good. Got it. So that is one, that is one where um, it's kind of challenging, right? Any instructor that's listening to this knows how hard and challenging it is to actually write a really good exam question. Because you have to know a fair amount of material, right? You have to have the right answer in there, but you also have to have a distractor or two that are somewhat reasonable so that you're you know, not making the question too easy. So I would say that tip is one that I still think it's it's effective, um, but it, it needs to happen a little bit later in the process. Like a student probably needs to be closer to the exam, has done a lot of studying already, and maybe even the better strategy is to work with a partner, right? Kind of come up with a rough draft, and then um, you and the two students can work together to refine a question. Yeah, that's excellent. 
Okay, so let's go rapid fire here real quick, Michael. So what is the best teaching tool you have ever used? You mean like a digital tool? Yeah, or it could be a non-digital tool. It's really uh, the one thing you think is just so awesome. Well, that would have to be anatomy and physiology revealed. Well, I could not agree with um, you more than Michael. <laughs> I mean, that was just, uh, that was something that when I was teaching just really changed how I could teach. It, it, it gave students such an opportunity to understand anatomical relationships so much better than they could um, with, you know, with, with the art that was in a textbook, which was excellent, but being able to be interactive and kind of go off on their own and do self-exploration, um, just a, a really effective tool. And it has so many different ways that you can use it uh, from an implementation perspective. You know, are you looking for a tool where you can hold students accountable to doing some work as a pre-lab? So then you can use, you know, use APR to create pre-lab quizzes or assignments, or maybe you're looking for something as a post-lab, okay? Before you've left lab, go over here and work on a quiz with your lab group, right? There's just so many great ways that you could leverage it. That's uh, awesome, and thank you for sharing that, too. So three questions left for you. Um, why is teaching anatomy and physiology, when you think about that as a profession, why is it an honor? And that kind of encompasses, too, human anatomy or human physiology, too, but just the, the global umbrella of anatomy and physiology, why is it such an honor? Well, it's a, it, it, I think what's amazing about it is that through our K-12 through educational system, we spend so little time actually learning about our own anatomy and physiology. I mean, just imagine if, you know, in middle school and high school, we spent a little bit more time learning about our own anatomy and physiology and how that could help everyone um, with health and disease and wellness as they got older. Uh, and it just seems like something where you would learn a little bit more about it if you didn't start to pursue it at the college level. Boy, I could not agree more. It reminds me I had a, a mentor a long time ago that would speak to this, and he would say that your body is your container for life. Wouldn't you want to know the most you could about it? And that was his plea, I think, to his students when he was teaching them uh, to really kind of engage differently with the, the subject material, which is anatomy and physiology. And he said, you should just know it. If you want to become a nurse, that's obviously a prerequisite. But if you don't become a nurse, it's just good for you to know what your body's all built like and, and how it operates. So it kind of speaks to exactly what you're saying with the K-12. There's some opportunities there. Now, on that note, Michael, um, and I know this is something uh, that we're all kind of thinking about, we're talking about on a daily basis, what's your personal vision for the future of teaching anatomy and physiology? Well, I'm a strong proponent of um, active learning. I, I had the opportunity at Michigan State um, towards the end of my teaching there where I got to um, teach anatomy in a more active learning format and just really saw students really get their get interested in it and could see that they were just having a better experience um, because they were more engaged on a class-to-class -class basis 
and I didn't have to just sit there and listen to the instructor and become become pretty passive. So I'm I'm a real big proponent of including as much active learning as you can into the classroom, especially for those more challenging concepts, because that allows that instructor who's the expert to really show off their expertise in helping students navigate through a challenging concept or a kind of a difficult problem-solving uh, scenario, rather than just kind of presenting material, right, and presenting a lot of content where they're not always actually um, using that expertise to connect with the individual learners at that time. And I think also the big thing that I'm excited about is what is the future of virtual reality? How can that help us teach anatomy and physiology and, and deliver you know, meaningful educational resources for students and faculty as they're learning A and P. And I just think about how amazing would it be when you're learning the cardiovascular system um, to be able to travel through the human bloodstream, right, in a virtual reality and explore the different paths of blood vessels, get a better understanding of how blood is circulating throughout the body system, and then finish it off with a game, right? Who, what student doesn't like a game and kind of engage and, and captivate students' interest that way. Yeah, me personally, I'm excited about all of that active learning, the virtual reality. There's going to be so much changing here over the next five to ten years and beyond that's going to be really exciting and I think will change how you teach it, how you learn it, how you administer, all those things. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, Michael, you have been absolutely fantastic. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you. For our audience, I know some of the people might be looking to get in touch with you. So do you have like a Twitter handle, um, social media, anything you want to leave with the audience so they can reach out to you? I do. I am on Twitter, and it is very simple. It's at Michael Coat, and that is K-O-O-T. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, Michael, again, thank you for your time today and also for the audience. Uh, we have on our website here at McGraw-Hill Education a link to Michael's extended article. We also have a brief version that you can leave behind for your students. Um, this is Succeed in AAP, the end of our episode today. And if you don't mind, if you like this episode and if you're consuming it on either iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, any of the other areas that you're going to be consuming podcasts, if you don't mind, please leave us a kind review and, and remember to rate it. That certainly helps us. And also, if you are interested in supplying topics for us to talk about or if you want to have a conversation with me, I'd really enjoy that. So reach out to me uh, at my email address. That's james.connelly at mheducation.com. And we really appreciate your time today. And thank you for listening to Succeed in AMP. Have a great day.